listening to episode 179 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season three of TNT's The Librarians. Battle in the rain here tonight. Oh, it's gross out. It's just nothing worse than cold rain. Yeah, you were just ahead of me in the parking lot, but I figured I wasn't going to stop because we were both getting soaked. Yeah. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, it did suck. But what didn't suck is the librarians this week. <laughs> no, the librarians was awesome this week. Yeah, so uh, we're here to discuss librarians season three, episode three. You know what titled. else doesn't suck, Dave? What else? Is when Dean Devlin retweets. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe some sometime down the road, he'll say, hey, guys, I'd love to have you uh, interview me. <laughs> and we'd say, well. Our people will get together with your people, and maybe we can work it out. Yeah, call me. That's right. Tweet but, me, and text we're, me. And we're, and we're making that little thing with our fake phone on our ear. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, tonight we're here to discuss Librarians Season 3, Episode 3, titled The Librarians and the Reunion of Evil. But before we get to that, as always, want to remind you we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. Website where you can leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip, send the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. So, nothing else to talk about tonight. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, on, on the, not on like this there episode, was, you know, like Westworld just finished up or anything. But guess we can't talk about well, it. Well, I thought you weren't caught up. I'm uh-huh. ready. What do you want to say? Are you caught up? Oh, yeah. What? Oh, dude, I was just playing with you at lunch. All right, well, shit, let's talk about that, man. There you go. What do you want to say? Um, I don't know. How'd you like it? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I don't want to say I'm having a love-hate relationship with the show because clearly I don't hate it, but it's so... I don't even convoluted is not even the right word, but it's just so deep. It's so layered. It's so textured. And I know when I say I'm busy, I dude, I know you're busy. (laughs) You're busy in a different way for sure. But I, I don't have time to watch each episode more than once. For one thing, I, I don't have a lot of time to contemplate what I've seen. And consequently I, I go away and I'm, I, I, I mean, I know, superficially what i've seen but i'm not sure what i've seen i mean the end is not necessarily like super clear cut i don't think right well i mean yes and no uh you know it's funny because i have had some time to uh you know to think about it a little bit not not a lot but um i i mean we get some answers and, and i think any good season finale has to provide you with some answers to questions that have been nagging viewers all season long. Uh, You know, for instance, you know, we get some resolution about Arnold. Yeah. Well, we get loads of resolution about Arnold. Right. And, and I mean, it's certainly not what I was expecting. And and again, I don't spend any time on the internet related to Westworld. Yeah. So I did I say that back when we were talking about before I, I know I felt for a long time that because I know I mentioned early on how Ford acts very protectively of Bernard. I think you had mentioned how Bernard and Arnold, like 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 the two names were. Yeah, there was some kind of connection, anagram, yeah, or anagram so I, for, I forget what it was. So I feel like for a long time. I, th- I mean, I, I thought that Bernard was a host for a really long time, and the Bernard as Arnold, I felt like that. Yeah, you know, like it wasn't definitely wasn't a surprise, and certainly the well, here's what happened. See, I don't even know what my own thoughts were anymore, actually, because you know, like I, I think I'd mentioned this before. You know, like I was just casually minding my own business, and someone we work with came and said, "Hey, did you hear that William is the Man in Black? You hear that theory?" And I was like. You know, I hadn't even considered it. I haven't considered that William and the Man in Black were not on the same time. You know, that that wasn't happening at the same time. And so that just kind of threw me. 
And of course, it made me question a bunch of other stuff, but I don't know if I would have come up with that on my own. You know, like I imagine, I, I hope I would have eventually, but I didn't. So I feel a little bit cheated as far as that goes, but um, not, not by the show, but by, you know, by, you know, kind of the, the spoilerish type thing there. You know, thinking about this whole, because I didn't want William to be the man in black because I really liked the character of William and the, the character of man in black, you know, the more we got to see of him, we just saw he wasn't really even tough he was just a sad he was sad a sad old guy right uh, he was but he he i mean he's just a bully and yeah. you know i i mean part of the thing I, I think what you're saying is you didn't want it to be multiple timelines and right. i think once that became a reality and and as i understand it there might be three timelines although i'm not sure i i, I quickly read a review uh, today by this guy named David Crow in uh, Den of Geek. He, he's a really good writer, but it, it was a four thousand word, and this was he, this was the first of two <laughs> reviews that he wrote on that episode. So, just even with the two timelines, it, it was confusing for a long time. But I think once you started noticing that that you know, I mean, for instance, with with uh, Dolores's clothing, yeah. where you know, and that was probably the most obvious. Well, tip. W- once you once. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, like once someone said, once Joe said that to me, like I couldn't unsee it. And like, I couldn't see it as one timeline again at all. Yeah. Right. But, but, you know, getting back to the man in black, I I guess the way I felt about him at the end is that he is this sad old man that just became, became obsessed with this game and I, I mean, I guess I get it. Is it a metaphor for you know, obsession about something else? I don't know. But, but you know, in the end, he got what he deserved. I mean, you know, for instance, how many times did he probably rape Dolores over the years? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, certainly that's not the William that we were introduced to that, that no. essentially fell in love with Dolores. Yeah. It, it, essentially, I see, I, I still see like William. <clears throat> Like William died when he went out into that into the the, the wilderness there to Westworld, and yeah, you know, this man in black who emerges, just not yeah, you know, and that's what I didn't want because a that means William's story is done, right? Like I've heard like on podcasts say, oh well, maybe they'll go some more into the backstory. What? No, but no, 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 you're not going to go more. We know William's backstory. We don't need to see anymore. We saw how he changed how he turned we don't need the the details of it the nitty-gritty and i don't want to see it you know like i was i'm i'm a little bummed out because i really liked william he's a great character um you know you loved his you know how he stood up for dolores and i guess ultimately you know the the part is that he, he was living a fool's dream because there's no romance possible with dolores because we saw you know like all this time he spends trying to find her. He finally finds her and she's been reset and she doesn't remember him. Right. So the girl that he quote unquote fell in love with is by all intents and purposes gone. Um, or is she, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess I think that's one of the, uh, well, I now she's qual- <laughs> well, we're, now we're she right. can remember, now- but back then she was, well, you, you know, because we can't spend, all night talking about Westworld. We got a lot to talk about True. with the librarians, but but I think the point that bothered me most, and I guess I understand it, is Maeve getting off of the train. Yeah. Because I thought, okay, where are they going to go for season two? And I thought, how awesome is that going to be to have the real world, one of the yeah. hosts out in the world? Yeah. And of course, we're also left at the party with the host getting ready to you know full-on massacre yeah the board of all of delos. the uh the board the board there yeah for the delos corporation yeah. so and the man in black yeah is he gonna is he gonna go down too right well i'll tell you he's taking a lot of abuse so I'm i'm not counting him out just yet yeah no not at all you know but uh, you know it's funny in, in this day and age where we're used to shows now keeping us on edge about which characters are going to live and which are going to die. And I mean, for me, it kind of started with Ned Stark losing his head and I'm like, what the hell? 
Yeah. I thought he was the main character. And, and, you know, really ever since then, a lot of shows are like that. Sure. Which is great. Yep. Yeah. So it's not going to surprise me if that's it for Ed Harris. But again, I guess with flashbacks, multiple timelines, you know, there's a lot they can do and bring back. So, sure. You know, on the one hand, maybe Anthony Hopkins is just tired of doing the show. And <laughs> well, I don't know if he's tired. I, I guarantee you they just said, hey, listen, you know, we'll sign. It'll just be this year. Your character dies at the end. You'll be done. It's just the one season. And they probably paid him a buttload of money to do it, too. And it was worth every penny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was he was awesome. And, of course, it's the show is going to be uh, less of a show without him. I think it's going to be less of a show without Jimmy Simpson. Will we see Ben Barnes as Logan again? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good be, question. Yeah. See, uh, did he just ride out and and <laughs> uh, and die, fall off the horse, and, you know, there's no witnesses? Because, you know, that storyline is at least 30 years in the past so they probably didn't have all the surveillance cameras so it's it's just right. as possible well that story is like 35 years in the past right is it okay because then when well 35 would be i guess the end Arnold, of the movie right. no no i'm sorry okay wait <clears throat> 35 would be when arnold was there and when dolores okay right so it's 30 that's 30 years in the past about 35 years in the past is when Dolores goes, you know, shoots up the town. Right. Kills all the hosts, kills Arnold. And then so five years later is what we're seeing with uh, Logan and um, and William. And then 30 years after that is, you know, kind of like present day. But, of course, when is Maeve? Right? Yeah. Do we have right. her really locked down to a specific timeline? I think – you know, I think it's the present, but who the hell knows? Right. What did she? I don't know if she did. She ever run across the man in black? Were they ever in the same scene together? Because that would be the only thing that would really put her in any particular timeline. Yeah, I'm not sure. Right, to tell you the truth, or if she right. interacted with William, you know, that would put her in a specific. But I, I, I know. Yeah. Right. I'm pretty I mean, sure that she wasn't. Oh, well, no, because the man in black stabs her when she's a homesteader. So right. Maeve, as she is now, is after the man in black, which I think he said occurred about a year previously from when these events are taking place. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I think, <laughs> yeah. like, so anyway, so, like, you know, the man in black started, like, seriously looking for the, the maze once he saw, like, Maeve show real emotion when he killed her daughter that which he just did just for the hell of it yeah you know which shows again this guy is so far from the the character william and everything so she's yeah okay all right well I, you, you can see where uh yeah where we're headed here and what we're gonna have to do again it's it's cause for a rewatch well it calls for a rewatch but it also calls for a continuation here i think of this discussion but yeah. Uh, right. be- because clearly we could easily go for another 15, 20, 30 minutes. You probably could. Yeah, you better cut me off while you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm getting into it as well. So, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I'm sorry I lied to you today. It's all right. I feel horrible. You shouldn't feel horrible. I, I was just, I was so like, normally I probably wouldn't believe it, but like, because you weren't like, you hadn't caught up on the, the previous episode, I just assumed you hadn't. So, like, when you say you hadn't, well, it's like, ah, oh, dude. Well, that was the truth before, right? You know, where I had to, I had to rewatch the last twenty minutes because I must have fallen asleep. But anyway, all right. Well, let's Dave, get into the relationship. Means you never have to say you're sorry, bro. Uh, good point. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> I'm gonna let that one go. <clears throat> For, fortunately, uh, maybe most of our listeners are too young to get that reference, but. Oh, well. Anyway, all right. Episode three, season three, The Librarians and the Reunion of Evil. And this one was written by Kate Rorick, who wrote episode 204 in The Cost of Education. She also wrote 106, Fables of Doom, and 107, and The Rule of Three with Paul Guyot. And as we said last week, this one's directed by Noah Wiley, who directed uh, episode 205. I forgot about that. The Hollow Men episode and one episode of Falling Skies. 
He's also going to be directing next week's episode as well. And it looks like one more for season three. So, you know, like you said at the top of the show, this is a great episode. Got to give some props to the director. All right. Well, this one aired on December 4th, 2016. So uh, you want to come out with your grade already? You know, I, I definitely, you know, I'm going I'm to have to finalize my grade at the end. I'm definitely between like an A and an A minus, I would say, okay. on this one. Yeah, and I'm starting at A minus, but unlike last week, I was pretty certain that I was going to stick with an A minus. I'm not quite as certain tonight. Okay. So we'll, we'll and, and certainly I'm talking about going up, not down. Right, right. There, there's, <laughs> he said. Okay. Um, there's uh, there's certain elements that I realized just even looking at my fir- the first couple notes I wrote them like oh okay there's there's stuff in there I think that I'm going to give it the A solidly so I'll make my final decision at the end when we're done talking though. Okay. Well, what do you want to bring up first before we you know get uh, into the Star Wars? <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Or more more precisely, The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Oh, uh, that's a road we don't want to go down. Okay, now. well, we're going to go down just a little bit, but you hear me I, out. I, I agree with you, so, by the way. So in that early scene when they're in the cave, right? First of all, the snow cave. Okay, that doesn't necessarily automatically scream Star Wars, right? I'm okay. not like the lost people who they see any little bit and they think J.J. Abrams himself wrote that into the script. So there was the one thing. They were in the snow cave, and it looked a lot like the snow cave that Luke is in in Return of the Je- Empire Strikes Back with the uh, the snow monster takes him in there second thing cassandra the jacket did you did you see it um i don't remember it per se it's very reminiscent of the the jacket that han solo was wearing in the haas scene in empire strikes back you know with the hood up and fur around the hood yeah again I remember that two things together not necessarily but then she brings out the binoculars boom we've got three we've got three things i'm going this is purposefully done they are definitely shouting out to empire strikes back in this scene no well, that would be the rule of three the rule right? of three absolutely oh. okay uh, i like it and, and you know i was saying to somebody today i like when shows acknowledge other shows sure so and if it were just any one of those things by itself, I might say, hey, her coat reminded me of Han Solo. Or, hey, there's binoculars. I like the ones that Han Solo pulls out when he's scanning the frozen terrain of Hoth looking for Luke. Or, hey, that cave kind of looks like the, the cave that Luke was in in Empire Strikes Back. But all three together, come on. Yeah. Come on. Right. You know? Right. Well, speaking of Cassandra, once again, witness her desire to use magic on a more frequent basis. But I guess my question why would Jenkins have her using spells, however minor, at the library, knowing her propensity to want to use magic? I mean, is her scientific curiosity just too great to prevent her from standing down when it comes to magic? I, yeah, I, I would say that the, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, I believe. Okay, but but knowing that, why does Jenkins have her using magic? Maybe it's just that he's... He's just trying to control it, I guess, you know? Okay, or maybe trying to teach her to use right. it. I mean... It's like, you know, like with teenagers, there's so many things. You know you know they're going to do it. Do you forbid it, or do you try to put it in a way that's not so bad? So, in other words, she's Hermione, and this is whatever that school was. Hogwarts? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Are you serious? <laughs> I know. Dave... I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a fair comparison, I think, you know? Right. And, and then are we going to continue to see the dynamic of Stone trying to rein her in? Because there were really some great exchanges in this episode uh-huh. related to that. But you see, even he had to, you know, like... At the yeah, end it's so to be funny saved. because it's like you know he's so adamant about her not using magic, but when it's him strung up like that, he's he gives her the green light, right? And, and that's really all she was saying is that there are times that it is a tool, and we should use it, you know, for our benefit. And, right. and of course, as you said, it's interesting that it's when he's like you said hanging by ropes, right? Oh, you know, now might be a yeah, good time you know, to use it. But I think he, he sees like what she was trying to say before, that 
you know, if we use it judiciously, that it could be. But of course, then that there's a sl- slippery slope. Oh, if I just take a little bit of this heroin, it'll be okay. You know, right. Well, well I'm just well, going to have one drink. You know. Well, how and who decides when it's appropriate? Well, exactly. Just with any kind of addiction or obsession. I mean, again, go back to the man in black and Westworld, right? Um, When you get too far, too deep into something, you know, where's the point where you can't pull yourself back? Right. But I mean, within the context of the library, I mean, Eve is the guardian. So I I guess you could argue that she needs to guard Cassandra and and the others from themselves. Jenkins, you know, is the caretaker of the library. You know, you wonder, is it anyone's particular responsibility or because they're a team, because they're a family that they really need to watch out for each other? And, you know, in this case so far, it it really happens to be Stone watching out for her rather than the others. Well, which is kind of what he's been doing the whole time, like since episode one. Right. 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 but I think we're, we're definitely, I'm still holding to this that we're, and I don't even really want to call it a prediction because I think it's just so obvious they're going this way, is Cassandra coming to some kind of serious temptation with magic where she's you know going to maybe break bad a little bit and the, the team is going to have to pull her back. Right. Or there's actually going to be a, a physical and emotional disconnect and they're going to have to physically go get her and bring her back, you know? Sure. Uh, so now I love the fact that Jones is painfully aware that everyone considers him undependable, <laughs> you know, but even though he knows that instead of playing into their expectations of how he should act, he continues to go his own path, which ultimately it leads him to doing what, really is ever necessary to help the group, i.e. he is dependable. Right. It's just in his, in, in his way. Yeah, right. His Jonesian way. Yeah. And 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 I love the fact that he knows what they think of him. And it's almost as if he relishes sure. in that, you know, in, in that character. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Eve on the other hand also is not gonna stop trying to get him to straighten up, you know? Right. Well, well, you know, and we see her trying to train him yeah. the way she was trying to train Stone, you know, in, in fighting, of course, Stone at least had some uh, skills going in. But again, it's almost she's trying to teach Jones and Jones kind of teaches her. Oh, and by the way, here are your keys. I just took them for practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that. You know, she pulls out the blindfold. He's like, I'm not into kinky stuff. And he's like. You're in the kinky stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, in a way also, because, you know, he's proved right. I mean, they want to try and dig through all the snow. He's like, hey, there's, we can do this without having to leave the library here, you know? Like, let's let's not, you know, let's let's not go about this the, the hard way. Let's do this, get this done the easy way. Right, which is kind of ironic. He's trying to bring the library into the 21st century. Right. And despite everything they have at their disposal yeah they're still kind of in the dark ages yeah, they're still in, putting you know the wire coat hanger and aluminum foil on to try and get the uvf station yep now i love the norse gods the frost giants in particular yeah. which you know frost giants have played a relatively significant role in the marvel cinematic sure, universe sure yeah so that and you know they're I, I, I guess they assume that we will just understand them to be baddies because they were the baddies in Thor, right? Right. And now I wonder if TNT is like a subsidiary of uh, yeah, right. <laughs> whoever owns Marvel. Yeah. Now I can't even remember. But, Disney, uh, right? Yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. But, uh, you know, I really liked it. And, and, you know, it was about maybe a third of the way through that uh, I'll bet these guys are, are Norse gods, which – Took us back to uh, again. I always want to call it the Brothers Johnson, but that's not what it is. The uh, oh, the uh, Almighty Johnson. The Almighty was it Johnsons. I don't know. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I never got to see season three of that show. Oh, right. They they 
well, I forget what it was. They didn't air it or they yeah, did air they it. they never aired it on sci-fi. And it's like not available on anything, any format ever, anywhere. So. I'll have to All check right, it now, out. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I maybe give it another go. Okay. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention, you know, under the uh, initial impressions, Flynn is mentioned as having abandoned a mission he was supposed to be addressing. So we assume it was this one with the crystal. So we're wondering, did he get a lead on Charlene's whereabouts? Something else magic related that he felt was more pressing. I mean, is this something he does frequently, which is just to abandon a job in the middle? Or was it just maybe his turn to do a job and he didn't take it on? Regardless, I thought it was okay. You know, they they remind us, hey, Flint's still around, but that was pretty much it. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm sorry. They have the Almighty Johnsons on Blu ray. No. <laughs> Season three? Um, yeah, seasons one through three. That's pretty cool. Actually, uh, that, that'd be another topic sometime, you know, we could talk about you know, the whole idea of physical media versus streaming and, and the online services. I, I guess still, I like holding things. I got to stop there. Cause I know. Oh, come on, man. I- <laughs> you were so close. I was like, I was like, just, I was getting ready to take my shot. <laughs> All right. Holster that bad boy. All right. Um, All right. So why don't we get to the opening scene? They're in Sweden. You already mentioned the ice caves, which I thought were pretty cool in and of themselves. I I, I love that opening scene. Stone and Cassandra retrieving an artifact that it seemed Flynn was supposed to uh, retrieve, but didn't. And then we find out that the date and location of this job have been in the appointment book for 600 years. Yeah, we find out that the crystal steeped in magic, and we find out a lot in a relatively short opening scene. They're walking into what appears to be a fairly sizable man-made ice cave, and we hear it's referred to as the Angraboda crystal. And of course, when they first find it, it is freaking huge. Yes. Or at least the big block of ice in which it resides is huge. Right. And they're figured, all right, we're going to need help getting this out of there. <laughs> but, but you know, we basically have two storylines in this episode. Now, obviously, they're related. I mean, we've got the one where Stone and Cassandra are in Sweden taking on the Frost Giants. And then the other story, Eve, Jones, and Jenkins at the library trying to rescue them, which I thought was really, uh, again, not that it was some groundbreaking approach to telling a story, but it just really worked well together. And as separate stories, I think they're good to discuss that way. So so I always like it. And I've said it before when, when Eve and, uh, and, and um, Jenkins, no stone, when when even Jones Jones and Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Eve get, get paired up together. I think that's my favorite, um, pairing because you know it's the the you know the classic odd couple kind of pair up sure sure and again as we've talked about before you know part of the danger of pairing stone and cassandra at this point is that even though they're way past their trust issues maybe they're not it's just now we're talking about him not trusting her to handle magic responsibly right so in a way that's kind of cool in a way it's come on let's let's move on to some other issue between the two of them yeah that's that's not romantic <laughs> right right exactly because i because i did read something somewhere that uh, oh i you know it seemed to be sparks flying i'm like nah, i didn't see that i, I mean I, i'm not gonna say i didn't see it like there was i mean you know it wasn't one of those times where you're like oh they're totally gonna kiss but they don't you know and everything. it wasn't like that but i i just think there's always been kind of a you know, a, a, a relationship between Stone and Cassandra, but I just don't see it going there. You think there's some sexual tension between the two? Um, it's it's definitely not overt. It's probably more in my mind than it actually is intended. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't even necessarily call it sexual. I mean, like slight romantic potentially tension. I, you know, the more the more I say it, the more I'm, I kind of feel like I'm sounding stupid. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna back off a little bit. But I mean. Let me put this. I just I could see it happening, but I don't think they would go there. Okay. Well, right away, you know, they they find the block of ice. They note that there are Nordic and ancient runes etched in this 
block of ice, but they also notice that they're growing. So, of course, right away, she wants to use a spell to get the crystal. And this is the first instance where Stone reminds her that, you know, magic has consequences, which is it seems as if a recurring theme that that I think you've mentioned before is probably going to work its way all the way to the season finale. And and who knows, maybe we end end season three with her going over to the dark side and season four will, you know, trying to bring her back. But yeah, but I, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. It's just that except for the ending the season that way, I think they will, they'll end, you know, they always kind of tie it off at the end in case they're, they don't come back the next season. So I think there'll be the deadly danger and she goes over the dark side, but they bring her back and rescue her by the end of the season. Okay. Well, while they're in the cave, some masked man surprises him, takes down Stone, which, yeah. <laughs> especially when we find out later who it was that actually takes him down, makes it even more surprising. Do you notice Cassie tosses him a crowbar? Oh, no, I didn't see that. And uh, so he's got his weapon and he goes outside to chase the guy is when, of course, she opens the book of spells and chants something to open the ice formation. And I'm thinking Melinda May on agents of shield with the dark hold, you know, the first time you leave her alone with it, she's opening it up and you know, who knows what's going to happen now too late. Now <laughs> she tells him, yeah, uh, obviously pleased with herself, yeah. which again, I, I was a little surprised. He wasn't a little angrier, but you know, I guess what's done is done. Yeah. And she's got, I mean, she is literally like, like a, a teenager running off to like, to, to go to a party or something, you know, it's like, well, you know, see, like, what, like you, uh, you, you know, they're going to try it, you know, you just know they're going to try it. So. Right. And that's, what's interesting is she has that scientific intellectual curiosity. Stone is the skeptic who understands it has consequences and he would just as soon not use it at all. And then Jones uses it for the most unimportant, simple ideas, probably not all that, that threatening, but still he's a little careless with it. Although I guess to, to Jones's credit, he, he does typically work with it within the confines of the library. So I guess there's always Jenkins there to, right. You know, put out the fire so to speak yeah and probably literally right but the crystal rises in the air shoots right into cassie's chest and at that point they've got to leave the caves they go into a blizzard and of course there's a nearby lodge that i think stone notes where'd that come from but they call jenkins to get the door moved so they can get home and and uh, obviously then that's what gets uh, Jenkins and Eve and Jones on the move. Yeah, very right, kind so- of Rocky Horror Picture Showish kind of thing. I, again, is that definitely where they were going? I don't know. It's just that's what reminded me of kind of like you got a couple walking up to the mysterious house in the in the weather and everything. So, yeah. Well, at least they didn't start singing. That would have been awesome if they did the time warp, though. Uh, <laughs> I would have had to throw water on you then. Not a fan, right. huh, Dave? Nah, you know, I, I've i seen it in the theater. Yeah, okay. And I'll just leave it at that. So, all Dress right, up. well, uh, no. Want lipstick? Uh, no. It's okay if he did, man. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> I, I did. Well, so. okay. Well, I'm not surprised. So. <laughs> all right. So they enter the room full of people with name tags who are immediately eyeballing them as soon as they get in that clearly they shouldn't be there. And then they're told by the woman at the desk, if they don't have a reservation, they're going to have to leave. Oh, this is not good. Cassie says after she uses her goggles and notes that all the guests are some kind of monsters. But at that point, Jake doesn't really know because she doesn't have a chance to tell him. He doesn't know at all. Right. It's going to be a while. I I realize it's so funny is how far this show went before he realized I'm like, it was quite a while. Well, right. And and that was a lot of, uh, clearly a lot of the humor of this show. Right. But there was a purpose to his madness, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, he steals, you know, he sees the the one name tag left. Oh, Finkelstein. <laughs> yeah, Finkelstein. That's, that's me. 
And then, of course, Olafson's the guy that greets him, says it's been 150 years since they've seen each other. <laughs> Interesting look you've chosen. And then, of course, the 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 reference that, uh, yeah, no way you'd show up looking like a rock star, which obviously is what Christian Kane always looks like. Sure. Maybe had a little more moose in his hair this episode. Yeah, but, he did have a little bit more moose this time. But, but uh, that's- He should okay. grow it out again. Like, look like Elliot Spencer again. It'd be cool. Yeah. But that uh, hot girl, and I forget what her name- Oh, Meredith- Asks yeah. immediately, Cassie, uh, is Cassie your girlfriend? And did you notice both their reactions? Yeah. Okay. See, all right. That, that's, that's what I was thinking about is to, now, I mean, because you, you, whenever people like vehemently deny that kind of relationship, that's when you know there is some kind of tension there, right? Okay. Well, maybe not right, but I mean, like, in my opinion. Well, when they, uh, say, yeah. they say your girlfriend's like, no, 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 definitely not. Yeah, there yeah the lady yeah. doth protest too much. Right. Well, like, uh, you know, like the, the doctor and uh, um, what was Catherine Tate's character? Oh, my Lord. Donna? Donna. Donna Noble, right? Yeah. Always, like, we're just like, absolutely, because that was like a running joke, right? People always assumed they were a couple and they were like, no way, you know, everything. But, but yeah, you couldn't deny there was, obviously, I mean, there, there was with, David Tennant and all his companions, there was, there was sexual tension there. So um, sure. it was never realized, you know, but it, that doesn't mean it wasn't present. So True, true. Well, everybody seems surprised that Finkelstein showed up. And then I love when Meredith takes Cassie under her wing, which continues the mysteries, but then Cassie won't drink. And I'm wondering, okay, did she learn from the Dorian Gray episode? Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. Right. And, and this is the point that I'm thinking like, all right, these are Norse gods. And then especially when she mentions that she spent the 15th century waiting for Finkelstein to call and that they have an agreement, they leave their magic at the door for this reunion. Right. And like, they're in okay. Sweden too. And they're in Sweden as well. But, but you know, you mentioned Stone and, and I love every aspect of his uh, part in this bigger play that clearly he's drunk. Yeah, I mean, obviously not at the beginning, but but as it goes on, he he gets drunker and drunker. Sure, he's having playing a good time. So, to his to his mind. They've just crashed a regular reunion, and he's just you know, right. He and he he tells Cassandra, "Well, what else? I'm just you know killing time until Jenkins figures out how to get us home." Of course, he's perfectly at home in this bar slash drinking setting. Sure. Playing some form of, uh, he says the name of the game. I just called it in my notes, some kind of form of horseshoes. And not only is he at home at it, he's very good at it. So meanwhile, while all that's going on, you've got the, again, the the traditional scene of the two women sitting at the bar, opining about the men over there. And and of course here, it's it's really Meredith who's been, I guess, stood up by Finkelstein, but, you know, I guess she doesn't recognize that it's really not Finkelstein, which I guess on the one hand, I find kind of odd that, that clearly they've just usurped these bodies. Sure. So you can't tell what's inside. I guess not. I guess, I guess not. Yeah. But I mean, if, if they could, then it'd be a very short episode and you know, all the comedy wouldn't be there. Right. Well, true. So, well, true. Um, so yeah, it is a it is a you know, a ploy that they use. But you would think that being it seems like supernatural type creatures that they would be able to recognize each other despite having you know what they call meat sacks on. But right, right, and, and without having to go through quizzing, you know where you know where were we when the last time we met was? And he's like, how the hell should I know? It was a long time ago. Right, right. Yeah, which but, yeah, which is what the real Fickelstein says, right? Right, exactly. So Stone learns that all Jake, these just, guys. I, I, David, I just got a quick question though. Am, yeah. am I too leech like, like in a bad way? Um, not usually. <laughs> usually okay. Yeah. Then uh, when Meredith says that to Cassandra, it's like oh, I was dying. That was hilarious. And, and and just the way Cassandra, you could see her kind of cringing, not knowing what to say, and you know th- th- then Cassandra tells meredith well it's not you it's him (laughs) (laughs) again the classic line i mean how how awesome was that but then 
Cassandra tells Meredith about Stone not being into new ideas. And then Meredith starts playing with Cassandra's hair, <laughs> which, which, which kind of puts her off a bit. Right. Well, this is not the first time that the ladies have been attracted to Cassandra. It's not, but the last time she didn't seem that put off by it. So, you know, again, it's just interesting. I mean, uh, look, we, we've said a number of times, you know, this is a show I, I just assume not ship anybody. You know, right. the fact that we've got Flynn and Eve is plenty. Sure. And even then, like how long before we actually were confirmed that their relationship is sexual, right? Right, right. You know, these guys want to go out, have a one-night stand, you know, with somebody, that's fine. But it it just doesn't play into the story. Right. Uh, they Well, I mean, they kind of did. Yeah, like, well, it's funny how, how much leverage mirrors this show because though though two of the characters in Leverage do end up hooking up, uh, actually two two different sets of characters and everything. But it, at, at first, it's like, like the two adults, quote-unquote, who run the operation – um, are kind of getting into each other, and then, and then two of the uh, two of the crew also hook up. So actually, I want to back up because I I was about to say that you know how the the, the people in the crew and Leverage didn't really hook up with each other, but they totally did. So I'm completely off on what I was going to say. So I'm just going to drop it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll ask you a question then. Okay. Wayne, what's your favorite natural disaster? Oh, global warming. Clearly. Really. Oh no, water spouts. Oh no, no, no. Um, I, no, I, I, like I don't really have a favorite natural disaster. I'm not a big fan of them. <laughs> but the ones that I find most fascinating, um, maybe volcanoes. Yeah. Right. Uh, to be honest, for me, tornadoes are yeah, pretty fascinating. That's good. Probably starts with you know when I was very young and Wizard of Oz. But yeah, uh, sure, sure. So, all right. Well, well. Anyway, they've. But, but they've yeah, did you see out. how, like, when he says like global warming, though, everyone's like, "Oh, like that was like good one." Like this. Oh, did he think it was good one? I thought it was like they're just like, "Oh, dude, what's wrong with you?" <laughs> oh, maybe I misread it. I guess I thought they you, were kind of probably impressed. Right. That, they're probably more impressed than. But yeah, I thought that like even all the messed up things they said when he says the global warming, like they're all like, "Oh, that's horrible. What's wrong with you?" But yeah, you're right. It's probably they're more impressed with it. So. All right, well, they got to figure out a way to get home. So Cassandra rigs up the goggles and a mirror to try to get a signal back to Jenkins, which she does right before it shorts out. So the fact that she's not sure whether the signal went through was, okay, that, you know, a cool narrative device. I mean, we've we've seen it before in plenty of shows, but uh, that's okay. Again, you can't reinvent the wheel every time. But then sure. Meredith comes into the ladies' room when Cassandra's, well, she's just finished, and she starts coming on to her again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. See if this goes anywhere, but of course it didn't. So we've been wondering, you know, what's this reunion all about? And we find out that the ceremony involves consuming the crystal and that they used to kill each other over it until a truce led them to share it. Right. Okay. All right. That's that's pretty cool. Okay. But of course, at this point, there you know uh, Meredith is explaining all of this to her while Cassie has it inside of her, which right is another story in and of itself. There's so many times I could have said it. This uh, I'm just saying, Dave. Does Stone quoting poetry ever get old? No, no, I don't think so either. Yeah, especially no, when I, he, I he throws so. down Dylan Thomas, who's like my favorite uh, poet, right so. from the start, man. Yep, but then. <laughs> Cassandra grabs him by the ear, pulls him away from them. And this is the point where she finally puts the goggles on him so he can see what it is they're dealing yeah. with. I think to a certain extent, she's kind of pissed off because he's having too much fun. Right. Well, exactly. She is, I mean, she's got hot frost giants hidden on her. She right. could be going to town, partying up, having fun too, but she's not because she's, like she's to her, she's on duty, right? She's she's on a mission, and she has a crystal in her chest to boot. And Jake is just like whooping it up, so of course she's right. gonna be pissed, right? Right. But she's not pissed when he starts staring at her chest. Well, she's <laughs> she's like, yeah, and that's happening. 
Yeah. And then, of course, the reality of her situation kicks in. They're not going to cut it out of me, are they? Yeah, kind of pretty yeah, much. I think that is exactly what's going to happen. So what I like is when she, she puts – she gives him the, the goggles and he puts them over his eyes. And he does the, – like the, the his lips start quivering. <laughs> right. And I like that we don't see what he sees. I mean we've already seen it, so we know right. – well, that's so why his reaction really... is so much better, right? With the like the yes. lips quivering and everything, that was great. Now, when Cassandra figures out that they're going to cut her open to get the crystal, she wants to use a suppression spell. I assume suppress their urge to cut it out of her, but again, Stone says no. Right? I'm like, okay. No, we we'll just throw and, this piece of cloth over your chest, and we're good. Right, but then they they get into really about as heated an argument as we've seen in the librarians. And, and of course, they're arguing about her desire to use magic. And then she starts bringing up, you know, one technology after another that at one time were considered magic by peoples that didn't understand it. But then, of course, used properly, they become handy tools. And he says, yeah, but you don't know how to use magic. You don't. Right. I think you're you're too smart to be this reckless. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. And and I think it really stuns her that he's willing to say that because it's pretty harsh, but it's true. Yeah, but I like he kind of like it's a classic like flip technique here, right? Like you're too smart to do that thing that I don't want you to do, you know? Sure. Right, right. So all right, well we find out, I guess just, Stone figures out what it is that they're dealing with, which are the frost giants, which were a race of Norse gods, which I found very interesting that that they were considered gods until they weren't. Right. And that once people stopped believing in them, all right, well, what else are we going to do? Ah, let's bring pain and suffering to the human race. Yeah, that's a good job. Right. Yeah, I feel like that that was like part of Thor too. Like that was actually in the movie, like something like that. So Yeah, sure. Right. And, and again, I, I, I just, I love frost giants. So we'll just leave it at that. The, obviously Marvel cinematic universe did it well. And I think, uh, TNT's librarians did it well. Sure. All right. But so casting Christopher Eccleston, that's just such a waste. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like, like you got a guy that talented and you, you like, he's on subtitles for three quarters of the movie. It's awful. Yeah, good point. All right, so Stone accuses the real Finkelstein, who has just shown up. And then, of course, this is where the quiz starts. And, and you know, it was relatively funny, but obviously we know where this is headed. Stone and sure. Cassandra have to run out to escape. Although I do love the fact that Stone talks his way out of, you know, what, what they want to do to him by accusing Finkelstein of trying to take the crystal for himself, which apparently he was. Sure. And I'm not sure at that point that Stone really knew that had been Finkelstein with the week left back in the ice caves. Right. But at this point, Cassie's chest starts glowing, so uh, attention is drawn elsewhere. Right. Well, it's just like kind of like the how he was thinking on the fly with knowing when he and Olsen would have last met by figuring all right 150 years ago what, what terrible disaster was about 150 years ago he figures out the plague in london and he nails it does he get lucky well sure but you know i think he, he he creates his own luck all right well at this point this is when they've got stone uh strung up he's of course quoting poetry again to distract the group and then he slyly tells cassie to use magic which she does to escape her binds and, you know, that whole line, magic can be used as a tool, have a little faith. So uh, is Stone coming around? I I don't think so. I, I just think this was, I hate to say it's a one-off because he, they were really in a bind. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I think I kind of see him coming around a little bit here. But I like the the leap of faith, you know, kind of like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusadish, there, right? Yeah, yeah. What'd you think of the fireman's axe? Did I think Did of you what? notice the fireman's axe? Stone finds a fireman's axe, just like in the episode with the fairy tales. You know, he's got this big axe with the red head on it. He uses it to block the door, 
this time, but it, it sure looked like the same axe from that earlier episode. Right. And, and then she tell, I'm sorry, stone tells her to go. She says, Nope, we go together doors unstable. And, and, and of course, as soon as they reach it, it closes up. So Jenkins, you know, moves the door. Second one doesn't work, nor does the third. Well, they finally get through. I think once he mentions about the elevator and I'm, I'm not sure exactly why the elevator didn't move and the other doors did, but whatever. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> just, <laughs> just accept it. Right. right. Yeah. And, I, at that point, like all the, you know, Jones saying how that they were doing the doors and all this stuff. And I'm just like, ah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But, all right. They uh, jumped down the elevator. They live. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Good. So the, and then we see back at the lodge, the gods are fighting. Truce is over. Lodge disappears. And, uh, I guess the frost giants are gone for another 600 years. Yeah. But uh, while all this is going on, Eve, Jones, and Jenkins are at the library trying to rescue them. And, you know, you already mentioned that opening scene when Eve is trying to work with Ezekiel, blindfolds him, and the whole thing, oh, you're into the kinky stuff. But it's interesting that Jenkins points out that Jones has chosen a path of non-involvement. And I don't think that's really true. You know, again, it's there's a Jonesian way of doing things that they're going to have to get used to, and it's not all. It's almost not only that they have to get used to it; they have to understand it, right? Because he is involved, just not like the others. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, we always compare this show, and we both were coaches and have coached, and so do you force all the players to buy into your system? Or do you create a system in which each player is able to maximize his or her own strengths, right? Both. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in high school, you can't just be like, ah, oh, let's do whatever you want. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. No, but I, no, I agree. Look, again, you try to put players in positions to be successful. Exactly. And that's something different for each kid. Right. So. And and that's what Jenkins hasn't really grasped yet. I think about Jones. I mean, he has. Don't get me wrong. I he, I think he understands Jones' value on the team, but you, you just you, you just can't put. You know, I I hate to use this metaphor, the round peg in the square hole, and and I think that's what he's trying to do with, yeah. with Jones. Did you notice the huge portrait of Flynn on the wall at the library? Um, I did not. Oh my gosh, this thing must have been like eight feet long and about six feet, uh, four or five feet wide. I missed it. All right, so then we see Jenkins and Eve preparing for her to leave on the rescue mission. You know, Jones is rigging up a new incubator for one of the Loch Ness Monster's (laughs) eggs. And of course, again, I don't know why Jenkins would think. He just told him, keep it warm. He didn't say... Keep it at ninety-two degrees. Right. Uh, you know, he just said keep it warm. Right. So it's hard to fault Jones for what he did using the Bunsen burner. <laughs> right. Maybe not ideal though. But you see, like right. his grow, like you know, the one point he actually has like a baby carrier um, with the the egg on his front, which was hilarious. And, and and you know, it was hilarious. But what does it show? Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, it's like a parent taking care of, you know, the, the child. But right. Well, Jenkins, it's like you, you leave the teenager to babysit, and, and like the first time, they don't do a very good job. And then they're like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do it? Okay. And then after that, he, you know, he's, so like just putting the egg over the Bunsen bird, like he literally thought that that was okay. You know, when he realized, when they clarified what they wanted him to do, that he, he did it just as they wanted him to. But But, you know, he also then mentions – Cassandra placed a protective spell on the egg, and that's the only thing that kept it from disintegrating or whatever. And then I'm thinking, again, well, why are they surprised that Cassandra wants to use magic? So, again, I think they're going to have to reevaluate, I guess, how they operate as a team. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, we've already seen Jones using magic to dry his sweaters and who knows what else. And I guess, to be fair, we really haven't heard of stone using it. Wow. At least that I recall. Uh-huh. You know, you mentioned earlier Jones wanting to bring the group into the 21st century 
And Eve's kind of surprised that he's been tracking weather patterns and notes that this storm is magical. And, and you know, that's when we find out that 600 years ago, the librarian Gustav von Erikson wrote in the calendar book, you know, this particular event, and that's why it's in there. We're looking for the prime frost crystal in the ice. But then Jones starts hacking, and just how we only heard about Flynn in passing, we hear about Dosa maybe a little more than in passing, but Jones says, well, look, don't they have magic satellites, meaning satellites that track magic, right. not sure, not magic satellites, right. looking for heat signatures in the storm. And I love Eve's like, okay, you know, yeah. we'll follow your lead. And, and yeah. I mean, she doesn't say I'm proud of you, but you know, she is. Right. Well, I mean, again, she's, she's a really good leader. As we said, she knows the strengths of her individual teammates and who needs to go where and when, right? Yep. She's yeah. just a yeah. master at that. Right. And then, again, I think that whole idea of him wearing the egg and the baby carriers really to reinforce the fact that he can be responsible. Sure. Because he's doing that while he's hacking into the DOSA satellite. (laughs) Right. Well, there is that. And as he points out, the DOSA probably doesn't know how to interpret what its equipment is showing, which you know, it makes per- perfect sense. The government's got all this money to buy all these toys. They just don't know really right. what it is they're doing. So we get to the epilogue a little longer than usual, but again, that was, that was perfectly okay. Eve's proud of the team, which seems to be a recurring theme going on, which again, it would be really cool then. Well, not really cool, but it would be a really good narrative device that proud, proud, proud. Oh, Cassandra, dark side. Yeah. Not yeah. proud. Yeah, like, but, <laughs> oh, we're going to take the three boys out for ice cream. Cassandra, you need to, uh, like, sweep the kitchen floor. Well, she's still got the crystal inside of her, and then Jenkins tells her, well, don't worry about it. You'll pass it. <laughs> she's like, uh, what do is you, that? Do you mean what I think? Right. You mean what I think you mean? Yes. And then he brings up the uh, idea of prune juice. But, uh, <laughs> but. You know, then we've got Cassandra and Stone with the, you know, having a moment about his fear of her desire to use magic. And not that she didn't before, but she understands where he's coming from. But clearly, this is going to be an ongoing battle, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. Magic got us out of trouble today, but it's also what got us into it. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, what can you say? Yeah, and, yeah. and I think she gives him a, a little nod. So then, I, mean, I think just like with anything, the the answer is not on the extremes, right? Right. Right. Maybe somewhere in the middle. Right. And then after that scene, which really doesn't consume more than about maybe 45 to 60 seconds, but, you know, it's pretty heavy. And then they come back to, to take us out. The egg hatches, little Nessie. They put it in the fish tank. It imprints on Jones. Looks like I'm not the only one putting faith in Ezekiel Jones. Eve tells a smiling Ezekiel, and you know, then we the, we go to the end of the episode. So I, I just I, I love how they did that the serious talk, and then you know the birth of a a new Loch Ness monster. Sure, very cool one that's going to so. be beholden to Jones. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Jones, father of dragon. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Father of whatever it is, not great. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know who knows. A little uh, Game of Thrones reference uh-huh. in an episode down the road somewhere. Maybe, maybe. So uh, I'm going to stick with an A minus. I, I really like it. I'm just going to stick with the A minus. Not going to explain myself. <laughs> and you know you don't have to, Dave. Well, talk to the principal if you want me to explain myself. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think the A minus, I'm going to stick with it as well. You know, it was, it was pretty good. It was funny. Um, but you know, still maybe not, there, there's some things that could be done. Yeah. So, so, all right. Anything uh, you want to add to it that we haven't mentioned? Um, just the, uh, one time when, um, you know, Eve goes, I have every faith in Ezekiel. And Jacobs goes, said no one ever. (laughs) Yeah. That was a great line. (laughs) So, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there weren't as many good lines, but that's okay because you you had the whole Jacob Stone at the reunion to take 
you know, take up any slack that you missed from having a whole bunch of funny lines. Right, right. Because virtually everything in that was a funny line. Sure. So, all right. Sounds good. Um, yeah, we'll have to continue our discussion about Westworld in some fashion, somehow, somewhere, some when. <laughs> but uh, anyway, want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the librarians episodes we've been watching maybe even westworld if you happen to uh see the finale and if you didn't sorry if we spoiled anything we'll put a warning out at the beginning of this episode yeah Uh, yeah yeah i mean you still you should see that one coming from a mile away though oh sure Uh, i'd like to encourage you to join the facebook group if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website And we'll be back next week to discuss Season 3, Episode 4, titled The Librarians and the Self-Fulfilling Prophecy. But until then... So, Dave, I actually think I've come up with a kind of a a motto or slogan for the podcast. Let's hear it. You ready? It's the not bad parts that make people think that bad parts aren't that bad.